Today is um, First Fruits uh, Giving Sunday, and um, I just, today's a day of celebration. This is a great opportunity to come together as your church family and to give together corporately and to say, hey, we're, we're about the same thing, we're about the same mission, and to come together corporately. And as, as Garrett talked about, we give joyfully, cheerfully. And this is what God is looking for. So we spent seven messages on a stewardship. And uh, Treasure in Christ series was a stewardship series. But uh, I don't know, for me, preparing and preaching week after week, it didn't really feel like a stewardship series. It felt just like normal, just preaching and talking about Jesus. And uh, that's really what it's all about anyway. And I just hope that uh, just as, uh, as, as families have folk processed in and sought the Lord. And what gets challenging is this. If you're an individual, if you're single, it's, just, it's you, between you and the Lord. And, but if you're married, you could have two different opinions on what to give, correct? As Auntie Etz talked about, you know, when Uncle Don said, this is what she could, he said, are you sure, Don? Right? I'm sure it was a little bit more than that. And for our family, like Charlotte and I, we've had a lot of discussions on this. And I'm sure we're not the only ones. So the main thing is this, as we give, give joyfully. I desire, Paul, the, the super pastor, desires for us to reap full benefits for our generosity. Okay? So I pray that this sermon would be incredibly encouraging for our church family. But just to, before we get into uh, our, our, our scripture reading for today, what does giving look like in the new covenant? We spent seven weeks, this is our seventh week talking about this, so I'm going to put it up in a nutshell here for us to kind of think about this. What does, and, I, and I already talked about this once before, what does giving look like in the new covenant? Giving in the new covenant looks like this, motivated out of our love and gratitude for Christ, that's our motivation, we practice free will giving, which is joyful, you come with a joyful heart, sacrificial, you feel it some, and regular. This is just a normal way of life, how we do this. So motivated our love for Christ and gratitude for Christ, we practice free will giving. No one tells you you have to do it. You do it because you want to. And it's joyful. It's a joyful experience. It's sacrificial. It hurts a little bit. It hurts some. It may hurt a lot. And it's regular. So today, I want to encourage the church family. Our Lord orchestrated 2 Corinthians 9 to finish up. What are the blessings of giving? What are the joys of giving? This is not just like you give and you give. You bleed yourself and that's it. There's a blessing as Pastor Dan shepherded us earlier. There's a blessing. There's anticipation of, of harvest here. Okay, so we're going to be at 2 Corinthians 9, uh, chap, chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. So if you're able to, please rise with me as we honor God's word through the reading of his word. 2 Corinthians 9 6 through 15. I'll be reading out of the NASB version. Paul writes, this is about the harvest here. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7. Each one must do just as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance, an abundance for every good deed. Verse 9, as it is written, Old Testament, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness, good works, endures forever. 
Now he, verse 10, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply, multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in everything for your liberality or generosity, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing, overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to, the, to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your liberality of your contribution to them and to all. Finishing up here, 14 and 15. While they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you, they desire you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. I thank you how you orchestrate a great harvest at the end where you spent two chapters talking about what giving looks like, how it's supposed to be given, how to be accountable to giving, and then here's the fruit of it at the end. Thank you for your word, Lord. May we treasure your son, Jesus Christ, more. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Verse 10 uses this phrase at the end. Paul writes, your giving, or how the Lord will increase the harvest of your righteousness. What does this mean? How God will increase the harvest of, of your righteousness. What this is talking about is righteousness, meaning you're acting in accordance with God's heart. God is generous, and we're talking about generosity here in, in this context. Therefore, if you're generous, God will increase the harvest of your generosity. This is what we're talking about today. And just to be clear, what happens through our giving, through our generosity? First point, we want to get to fairly quickly here. Point number one, the harvest of our generosity is dependent upon the law of sowing and reaping. Verse six says this, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is a agricultural law. In essence, I talked about the quality of the harvest is dependent upon the planting, right? Meaning you planted little, you, you should expect a little harvest. You planted a lot, you should expect a huge harvest. And growing up, we grew up in Monterey Park or Boy Heights, and then we moved to Monterey Park, and then we moved to Arcadia in 1988. And our backyard was dirt back then, all right? This lot that, uh, that we lived on had a dirt backyard. And I'm just, just this past week, I was riding around on my bike and I was going through Irwindale and it's kind of, I'm regressing, I'm going backwards as I used to ride bikes as a kid, but I rode on this dirt road and all of a sudden I noticed all these prickly things were all on my bike. My bike, my tire was flat. I was stranded on, a, on Live Oak someplace and I had to ride my bike to Bicycle Sam's and carry it after a while because the thing was just torn up. But that took me back because when I used to ride my bike with my brothers in my backyard, they used to have these prickly things. That's how undeveloped the, the backyard was. And so this is not quite what it looked like. I was asking my mom, like, do you have a picture of what it looked like? Because our backyard looks completely different 30 some odd years later. So 1988, this is what our backyard kind of looked like. So my dad is a gardener. He had this vision of this is what I would like it to look like. This is me and my brothers. We, we like playing baseball. And we 
we, we used to pitch and throw to one another. And so you see those patches of grass on the ground where my dad planted that stuff. You see kind of the trees in the back. These kind of these trees are supposed to give us some privacy because hey, the neighbors could see us pretty easily, but we're going to grow these trees someday where we're going to have a little privacy. All right? In 2019, here's the next picture. This is what it looks like today. So there's a, there's a lawn. There's a new person there like, who didn't exist in 1988. That's Troy. So there's a harvest right there. My bacha and my mom is pitching to him now. And so I think you hit it, right? And so, but look at the tree. The, the trees are just over. You can't even see the wall anymore. The lawn, my dad has this, mom and dad has this vision and say, hey, in time, our backyard is going to look like the way we want it to. But it took some time. It took some planning. It took some planting going on. It didn't just happen overnight. So any gardener or any farmer and what I love about Paul, because he, goes, he, goes, he uses a lot of agriculture term, uh, illustrations, sports illustrations. That's my world. So he makes a lot of sense to me. And Paul, as he was talking about this, he was going back to something familiar with the Corinthians. He was talking, using an agriculture illustration, saying, hey, the, how generous you are is, will dictate the quality or the quantity of your harvest. Even a farmer understands this. So Paul was interested in, and, and wanted the Corinthians to maximize on their giving and, and, and the harvest that they could receive. The more you plant, the greater your harvest. That's in a nutshell, the law, the law of sowing and reaping. But, verse 7, before you just said, all right, let me just start scattering seed. Let me just start giving. But, verse 7 says this, each one must do just as he has purpose in his heart. It's about the heart, not grudgingly, not saying like, oh, I have to do this. I have to give. I have to do this. Not under compulsion, like you better do this. Like there's threats. You better do this or else God's going to be mad at you. It's not that. For God loves a cheerful giver. Man looks at the outward appearance, as, as Brother Garrett was talking about, but God looks at the heart. I love how the sermon and the music and the children's message were all in sync. Pastor Terry's worked really hard to make sure we're all in sync. I hope you could feel that. But the motivation, God cares about the motivation. God cares that we're giving out of our love and gratitude for Christ. That's the key here. So as you're sitting here, start thinking about this. I want full harvest. I want to receive the full blessing since God sees that I am a cheerful giver. Doesn't mean you don't feel the hurt. Doesn't mean like, man, there's some sacrifices here. That's not what we're talking about. And it's not even about the amount. It's not even about the amount. God knows what you can do. He's the one that's chosen how wealthy you are, how, how, how much money you have. Remember the widow's might? God says, you know what, she gave more, her two mites, and then the rich people who are giving more. Right? God looks at the heart. God understands every circumstance better than anyone else. So the heart is the issue, but the harvest is completely dependent upon your sowing and reaping. You have to give generously, but with the right heart. Point number two, we're moving on. The harvest of our generosity will grow our trust in the Lord. Our trust in the Lord is grown through giving, being generous. I'm going to read a few verses here. 
Verse 8, I'm going to start off with verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. What does that mean? It's grace. It's God's grace in your life that you have the desire to be generous. It's completely counterintuitive to be generous. You want to keep. That's just how human nature is. You want to keep as much as you can. So it's by grace that you think this way. It's unnatural to think this way. And it's by grace that you can earn an income, right, or been given resources that you could be generous that's also a grace. You have the talents, the gifts, the training, the opportunity. That's a grace. It's all by, none of us could brag, hey, look how generous I am. It's all a grace. Let me keep going. But all, it doesn't stop there, but so that always having all sufficiency in everything, that means God will meet every need that we have, all sufficiency. We will have enough. So if you're thinking, sitting here thinking like, man, if I give this up, you know, I, I, I won't have enough. God promises here that you will have enough for everything, all your needs. Not necessarily your wants, but your needs. Let's keep moving here. You may have an abundance for every good deed. You will abundance, overflow, overflow with an opportunity to be more generous. God is the one that supplies our needs. God is the one that also gives us the ability to give and to be generous for every good deed, it says, the Bible says. Verse 10 and part of verse 11 reiterate the same thing. He will supply seed, ability to be generous, right? This is the first tense. It's he who supplies seed to the sower. And he says he will supply bread for you. This is me talking about your daily needs. God reiterates over and over, I will take care of your needs. I will take care of you over your needs. Verse 8, verse 10, and verse 11. God says it three times. Whenever God says anything once, you should listen. If God says something three times, you definitely should believe him and listen. Are you trying to make a point? I, God is saying, I understand how hard life is. I understand how things work around resources. But God says, I will take care of you. Verse 10 says, he will multiply your seed for sowing. Multiply your seed, not for hoarding, but for sowing, to be generous. All right? Knowing this promise now, you're sitting here today. I mean, I, I, I just want to preach you the Bible so you know what God says. This is not my words. This is not my opinion. God makes it perfectly clear. He'll meet your needs, and he, meaning you, he won't allow you to starve to death. And secondly, He'll, allow, he'll actually, if you're faithful with little things, he'll actually give you more to be more generous with people. All right, if you actually believe this, knowing this promise, what would keep you from being generous? Why would you be, I don't know, lacking generosity if you actually believe this? God will take care of me, and he'll actually give me more to be more generous if I prove to be faithful in that regard. Verse 8, I'm going back there. This is the whole key here, verse 8 at the top. And God is able... And God is able. Bible says Christ has the power to take care of your finances. Christ has the ability to take care of you. And, and, and then verse 10 and 11 says, uh, he will. He will do it. Not just he's only able. He actually will do it. Do you actually believe this? That's what will keep us from being generous. Is there any doubt that God will actually take care of his promise here? Do you believe this, that our Lord is more generous than we are? Do you believe this? That's really a big issue here, is it not? 
that keeps us from saying, you know what, let it go. God will take care of us. Here's a story that kind of was wrestling over us to share this, but I thought it would be helpful for our church family. Uh, Charlotte and I, uh, some of you guys, many of you guys knows, we're, we were coaching football in, in the National Football League at one time. And as we got closer to making the decision, we started talking to more friends and, and family, people close to us. Hey, we're thinking about going to pastoral ministry, right? After the shock, like, what? Some people who really love us and care about us would say, you know what? You have four little kids. And that's being irresponsible, Rocky. These are Christians, too. And some non-Christians, I would understand I would understand the non-Christians saying that, but Christians were saying this to me. I was thinking to myself, all right. And they mean well. They meant well. Would you have said that to me too? Would you have said that to me? Was that the advice or the counsel you had given to me? If your children said they want to go into a ministry or become a missionary or leave their jobs, that's taking care of them pretty well financially, would you be okay with that? Would you be like, nah, you, you got responsibilities. You, got, you, you can't do that. That's not responsible. You're being irresponsible. You're not stewarding your talents uh, the way you're supposed to. Would you say that? I'm just curious. I'm just curious. And you just think in your heart and mind, this could kind of reveal to you if you actually believe what I read to you in 2 Corinthians 9. Let's turn with me to Matthew 6 here. I'm just going to read a chunk of, we're going to let Jesus preach to us. I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to let Jesus preach to us, okay? Because you'd rather hear from our Lord. Matthew 6, this is a sermon on the mount. Jesus has this, the greatest sermon recorded here in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, verse 25, 625. Jesus is preaching. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Question mark. Look at the birds. There he is using illustrations of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? Question mark. And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not toil, nor do they spin. They don't even work. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Solomon, the wisest man, one of the richest men ever to live. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much clothe you? Question mark. You of little faith! Exclamation point. I can see Jesus rising up at this point. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. I'll just finish up at verse 33. But seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seeking his kingdom means look to advance his kingdom. Come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, the king, and, and his righteousness, act as God would act. He's generous, we're called to be generous. Seek to be these things, seek after building the kingdom of heaven, Jesus' kingdom, and God will take care of all these things. Do you believe this, brothers and sisters? Do you believe this? 
What advice would you give to your family or friends that come to you with maybe a similar type of scenario? Maybe right now you're wrestling over a decision that economically does not make sense in terms of career, in terms of school majors perhaps, in terms of, I don't know, even today. We're all, I love it because we're all kind of going under the similar thing today. Let me just throw out this point to you. This is what God's been working in our lives. The more you live out what you say you believe, you actually live it out. The rubber meets the road and you're actually living it out. The more you'll grow in your trust in Christ. Just trust him. Take that step. Take that step. Our Lord will meet your needs. Our Lord will increase your ability to invest into eternal stocks, your generosity. He'll give you greater ability to be more generous into investing into the kingdom. More heavenly stocks, eternal stocks. Here's a thought that came to my mind as I was in that conversation. I'm going back to that conversation. Think about this now, brothers and sisters. As you're sitting there right now, do you actually believe God came to earth, lived the perfect life, and took on the Father's wrath so that, and rose again three days later, so that he could pluck you and me out of the pit of hell. Imagine this. This is what we say we believe. We believe that God is pulling us out of the pit of hell and bringing us into his arms, into heaven with him forever. Do you believe that? If you're a saint, you absolutely believe. I believe this. So sometimes the world could mind trick us. If we could actually believe God and trust God for that, Certainly we could trust God for our, our kids' college funds. Certainly we could uh, trust God for our rent. That's his point here, Matthew 6, Jesus' point. You could trust him. And I'm grateful that that came to my mind. As, as people were talking to me, I was like, all right. If I was getting a little bit swayed, I was like, nah, I'm trusting Christ for my eternity. You could trust him for your today. Trust me, okay? This is what the Bible talks about. Let's go to point number three here. Your, your trust will grow in him the more you continue to trust in him, in his promises. What is the harvest of our generosity? Many thanksgivings are sprouted here. Let's read verse 11b, the second part of 11b here. In second, I'm back to 2 Corinthians 9, 11. I'm just read the whole verse. You will be enriched in everything for, your, for all liberality or your generosity, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. People are saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you. People have given to us and we, we, we could eat now. The Jerusalem church will be praising God and thanking God. Our needs are being met. Generosity leads to thanksgiving. And the source of the, of the blessing is God. People are going to thank God. Verse 12 says this, For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints or meeting the needs of the church, the Christians, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, it is also overflowing, bubbling over, just spilling over through many thanksgivings to God. People will be thanking and praising God for your generosity. That's part of the harvest. We get to be used in that way. Verse 13, I think, is the climax of this section here. I want you to think about this here. Because of the proof given by this ministry, because of the proof of your, because of your generosity, people are believing something. They're seeing proof. 
they will glorify God. They say, hallelujah, hallelujah. We could trust in you, God. Where our needs are being met through people that we don't even know. Hallelujah, praise you, praise you, praise you, Jesus. Why? Not only because their needs are being met. Because this, for or because your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. I want to give some context here. For your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. Jerusalem, home church. Think of home church. Jerusalem, where, where Christianity was birthed. Jerusalem sends out Paul and other uh, missionaries abroad to go evangelize the Gentiles. And for a while in the book of Acts, I'm reading, can Gentiles believe? And Peter and others were giving, yes, this is what's happened. The Spirit's come upon the Gentiles. They believe. And so they have to believe that report. All right, cool. But now that they're, the, the Corinthian church had a tangible way to demonstrate their actual genuine love for Christ by giving to the Jerusalem church. They're saying, oh my, the, this is real. God's kingdom is expanding. Imagine this, Pastor Ian in Japan, we've sent him out and we financially support him and his family. Imagine someday he comes back in person or uh, technology and says, you know what, our little house church, we have 30 people who love Christ and there's no reason for them to love Christ other than to love Christ. There's no cultural thing for them to love Christ, but they love, we will be praising God. We would say, thank you, Lord. You're using our church family to expand your kingdom. They were fired up because the Jerusalem church would be, have contributed to this. The seeing this harvest of their eternal investment causes them to praise God. I can see the genuineness of your faith through your giving. Now, you could give without loving. That's true. But you cannot love without giving. Giving financially, giving your time, giving your uh, cares, your prayers. If you love somebody or something, you're going to give yourself to that. That's, it's just a natural thing. If you don't love something, you're not. You're not. So the Jerusalem church will be praising God because of the proof of true conversion taking place in Corinth. Point number four here. What is the harvest of generosity? Christian fellowship blossoms. What does this mean? Verse, let's go to verse 14 here. You're going to love this. You're going to love this. Well, they also, by prayer on your behalf, they'll be praying for you. Jerusalem church is going to be praying for you, Corinthians. They're going to be praying on their knees, thanking God and praying for you. Yearn for you. I love that word. They yearn. They desire you. They want you. This fellowship is going to be blossomed. And, and I've been talking to a lot of people about fellowship in our church. This is one thing I'm praying for, that our fellowship at Evergreen SGV increases to a genuine, deep level. And what is fellowship rooted in? Basically, people experience true fellowship when they share a common affection. They, they love the same thing. And there's a common mission. They share the common mission. They're about the same thing. They love the same thing or some same person, and they're about the same thing. They have the same mission. This is a, it's kind of going backwards. I showed you old pictures, but um, this is quite some time after those, that original picture. But um, my, I was brought back to my Mount Sac days. I went to junior college. Any junior college students here know that's a great place to be. I went to junior college. I went to Mount Sac right here in Walnut, California. And 
A couple weeks ago, I went to a basketball game with some friends and, my, a couple of my, and two of my boys. And it brought me back because I thought to, I was talking to some of the football players. They didn't know who I was. So I, was I was shaking hands with them. Who was this Asian guy talking to us, right? <laughs> but I was them. I knew what they were thinking. And I felt comfortable around them. But I, this basketball game, I was looking at the, the, the women's basketball team. And there was a collection of all kinds of different people. I saw a Caucasian girl, I see African-American girls, I think I saw a Hispanic girl, I saw one little Asian girl on the team. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the reason why we're there. And so, different backgrounds, different schools from, uh, from I, I, I probably San Gabriel Valley to the Inland Empire to Orange County, they're, they're from all over different places. Everyone had their own different stories. I imagine different religions, different belief systems. I didn't get to talk to them. Different socioeconomic backgrounds, I would imagine. That's how it was for me playing with my guys at Mount Sac. But they demonstrated like a togetherness, a cheering each other on, a, 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 a love for one another, a fellowship, I would say. And this is what, they, this is what I surmise. They love the same thing. They have a common love. They love basketball. Let me explain something. You don't go to Mount Sac unless you love basketball. What I mean by that is, like, you may go to USC or UCLA or a different school, even if you don't love the sport, because it's going to pay for your tuition, thousands, millions of people are watching, uh, it, it, all that stuff. It's a big deal. Here at the junior college or at my football games, it was friends and family. You know, it's just, it's just you do it because you love the game. I love football. And, and, and these girls are there because they love the game of basketball. They got this dream in their mind and their hearts. I'm going to continue to play in college. It's a big deal. But they all had a common mission. Yes, they're all trying to move on to the next, the four-year university, but there was a championship culture that's birthed there that they want to be a part of, they want to add to. So that brings these girls together, different backgrounds. There's no reason why they should be hanging out necessarily, but they're for each other. The Corinthians and the Jerusalem church, the Jerusalem church was Jewish primarily. They're in Israel the Corinthian church are primarily Gentile, non-Jewish. They're in Greece. They're in north. The Jer Jerusalem church came out of Judaism. They followed the law. The Corinthians couldn't care, could care less about the law in some ways. They cared about Greek philosophy. They were Hellenized. The Jerusalem church was poor. They're struggling financially. The Corinthian church relatively is much more wealthy. There wasn't much commonalities between the two. But, however, for the surpassing grace of God in you, the Bible says, because of the surpassing grace of God, that's why they yearn for them. The grace to be generous, surpassing means like tips of scales, it's overflowing, like wow, that's above and beyond what you're doing for us, Corinthians. That demonstrated genuine faith that demonstrated that they had a common love for Christ and they're about the same mission. They had a common mission. They're about advancing the kingdom. If we want strong Christian fellowship here at Evergreen SUV, if we desire that, which I desire and which our leadership desires, we need to have a common love, a deep, burning love for Christ. When I talk about Christ, when we preach it for Christ, something in your heart goes, sings like, yes, preach it, preacher. 
And we need to have, be surrendered to the same common mission to advance his kingdom. Grow disciples. Commit to discipling one another. Commit to discipling, evangelizing the lost. That's what will draw our church family so close. We're, you know, at our church, we got married people, we got single people, we got younger people, we got older people, we got different social economic backgrounds, so different educational levels, different ethnicities. That's not enough to say, hey, we're a brother and sister. Brotherhood and sisterhood is rooted in Christ. Brother and sister is rooted in the same mission. I live for this stuff. And so that and on that team and on my teams that I played and coached on, I didn't like everybody. But if I saw someone really committed to the game and to our team of winning a world championship, I said, man, I respect that guy. <laughs> he's down. He, he's, he's, about, he's about this life here. It brought us together. Can you, as you look around here, go ahead, look around. Do you feel that heat from one another? Do you feel that bond with one another? Like, man, we're in this. We get to help disciple St. Gabriel Valley for Jesus Christ, our Lord. The whole world is going to be changed. Is that what excites you? If you do, you have genuine Christian fellowship. If you don't, you're kind of hanging out. Which is not bad, but it's not what Christian fellowship is. I just want to be clear. What is Christian fellowship about? So this is, these are some of the fruits right here. It's, the harvest is completely dependent upon sowing and reaping. How much you sow, the quality of your sowing, or reap the quality of your harvest. God will meet your needs. And by trusting in him, in your finances, your trust in him will elevate. That's a fruit. And by being generous, the harvest of your, right, of your generosity is that people will offer thanksgiving to God. And praise him. And right here, we just talked about it. Harvest of your generosity, fellowship will increase. So as we, and so as we I'm going to give some instructions here about what this is going to be. Just come. Come as your, I don't care if you come as a family, you come by yourself. The big idea is we're coming together as a big church family. But before you get out of your seats, I want you to spend some time praying. There's going to be music here in a few moments. Spend that time praying that you will give with a generous heart, with, with, with a joyful heart, excuse me, with a joyful heart. It won't be a grudging, like, ah, I have to do this. Even if you feel that leg right now, it doesn't mean it can't change. In your seats, pray. Make sure your heart is right. Simply come up, drop it, and then we'll, we'll have prayer for you guys if you want it to be prayed for. Why do we do this corporately? Because this is one of those things why, you know, we talked about why do we have one service? This is one of those experiences that we get to share with one another and grow in unity with one another. You heard the vision at once. It's about loving Christ and about evangelism, discipleship. Same affection, common affection, Christ. Same or common mission, discipleship and evangelism. This is what our church family is about. This is what Christ says our church family is about. He's the head. So just want to just make sure that we understand this. Come. This is a celebratory time. That's why we want music going on as we're doing this. This is not gray. This is not dark. This is colorful. This is lively. This is celebratory. And you could bring up whatever you want. You could bring the first fruits. You could bring your normal offering. Whatever. But make sure your heart is right. 
And if you're not able to give for whatever reason today, that's okay. If you want to give to the first fruits, we'll be announcing the total uh, December 8th. So you got some time. If you can't do it today, that's fine. That's fine. Now here's this devotional thought. Verse 15. You notice I didn't read verse 15 yet. Let's, let's read verse 15. This is quite devotional here. All right. Verse 15 says this. I hope this really ministers to your hearts right now, prepares you, prepares you for this great opportunity ahead of us right now. Thanks be to God. God, the creator of the universe. For his indescribable gift, exclamation point. What is this gift talking about? Is this the gift of being generous? Is this the gift of uh, opportunity to give? No. This is talking about the gift. This is talking about Christ. Thanks be to God the Father for putting up his son, Jesus Christ, his one and only son, to die for his creation so that we could be pulled out of hell and into heaven and be part of the Trinitarian love. This is an indescribable gift. I can't even talk about it. This is like indescribable. We don't even know what this all entails. It's indescribable. Gift giving is counterintuitive, like I said earlier. It just doesn't make sense, right? Math says plus, plus, plus is better. Just, that's, just, that's intuitive, humanly speaking. Our Lord is commanding us, charging us to do something that's Counterintuitive, something that doesn't make sense on the natural realm. But our Lord does not command us to do something he hasn't done himself. Right? If you're a leader anywhere, you know if you're not living the life, it's hard to command and, and lead people very well. Our Lord didn't, did the same thing, if not more. Beyond, not if not beyond. Now, go, let's go back to this picture of sowing and reaping, that agricultural illustration that Paul used. In sowing or planting the seed, the farmer or the gardener gives up seed. All right? He has to commit seed however he wants to plant it. When we're laying down the lawn, we should just have the spreader. I mean, just, it goes all over the place. And then the harvest comes. What happens to that seed? What happens to that seed? John 12, 24. Turn with me here. It's worth it. It's worth it. If you have your Bibles or your phones, turn with me. John 12, 24. This is one of those things. When Jesus says things three times, you, your ears perk up. But right here, he says, truly, truly. This is another time where your ears should perk up. John 12, 24, we preached on this already, but this is what came to my mind as we we're talking about sowing and reaping. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is speaking. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, planting, sowing, and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, comma, it bears much fruit. Remember this, brothers and sisters. He who was rich became poor. As Dan talked about, Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection. He is the one that was planted into the ground. 
and died. He's not asking us to do anything that he has not done. This is our Lord. So there needs to be a death. There needs to be a death. There needs to be a sacrificing of things for fruit to come. Nothing comes easy. Even in the secular world, you know, no pain, no gain. We understand this. We know there's a, there's a bleeding that takes place. There's a sweat that takes place before any fruit or any gains are made in athletics. There's, there's that burning of the lungs where I feel like I can almost breathe my blood and taste my blood in my mouth because that's how hard I'm running early in the morning. We understand that, but we, we do it hopefully, not just because we like pain, not just we like to bleed ourselves, but there's, oh, I'm going to get better because of this. There's going to be fruit. But the good news is this, hear this out. Jesus did not stay underground for, forever. I'm listening to this song with my friends or my, my children and my wife at home called He's Alive. He's Alive. But the, 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 the chorus goes, He's Alive and my sins are forgiven. Heaven's gates are opened wide. He's alive. You believe this. Of course you do, brothers and sisters. You know you believe this. You have nothing to worry about then. As we prepare ourselves, let's treasure Christ and know, keep this thought in mind. He is alive and my sins are forgiven. Heaven's gates are opened wide. He's alive. Remember, let that meditate in your mind and your heart as you prepare yourself right now in your seats. So like I said, pray. Let this be a time of worship. Pray. Your heart is full of joy and gratitude and love for Christ as you come up here. Pray before you come up here. This is a celebration. You guys should come up anytime when the music starts. And we'll have people for, have time of prayer on the site if you want to get prayed for. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time to preach your message on 2 Corinthians 9. Thank you how you encourage us at, a, at 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15, how you finish off with the harvest. You're such a logical God, Lord. You make perfect sense. You know that there's planting going on. You know that the harvest is last. Thank you for having this. Thank you for encouraging us in this. Father, thank you for the grace to be generous, the heart to give. We are a generous church overall, and I thank you for this. And I thank you for the grace that you've given us to be able to be generous. The resources, you have blessed this church family immensely. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to our church family, that we're able to worship here week after week in La Puente, California, on this property. Thank you for the faithfulness of the saints who aren't even here anymore, who are with you now, who gave generously. The people of Evergreen from times past. Thank you, Lord, how you love us so much and you prove that you love us so much because you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Thank you, Jesus. Help us have a deep love for Christ. Help us have a deep gratitude for Christ. And I pray, Lord, that our generosity will raise up thanksgiving to you, Lord. We will thank you as a church family, individually and corporately, giving thanks and praise to you, Lord, to how you are just being so generous to our church family. Father, I pray that you will multiply our seed so that we can continue to invest into your kingdom. 
And Father, I pray for a harvest of souls here. Some of us are just sitting here right now and others who aren't sitting here yet. I pray, Lord, that you would do a miraculous work in the San Gabriel Valley and other places where we send your people from Evergreen SGV, where dead people will be raised to life because of your son, Jesus Christ. Spiritually dead people will be raised to life. So God, I thank you. So Father, I pray for this time right now as we prepare to receive the first fruits offering that right now, individually, we will just be taking it to you, Lord, that there will be a joyfulness, there will be cheerfulness. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be your people. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here. Thank you, Lord, for being called your son and daughter. Thank you that my hope is secure in you. Thank you that as Mrs. Jung is lying in a hospital right now, she has complete hopefulness, and her daughters have complete hopefulness in her future. Thank you for this fact. And so, Father God, I pray, Lord, that you increase our love and gratitude for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this opportunity to do this. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.